Well, today's part four of our series called Next Level Love, where we're helping those of you that are single take your relationships to the next level. We don't want your relationships going absolutely nowhere. And for those of you that are married, we want to make sure that you are going to that next level, that you're not plateauing, that you're not getting stale and stagnant in your relationship. So there's been a key verse we've been looking at throughout this series. It's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Hopefully by now you've sort of got it memorized a little bit yourself. They're going to put it on your screens. Let's all say it together here. Go ahead and put it on the screens for us, guys. Go ahead and say it. What's it say here? Paul says, in your what? In your relationships with each other, what do you need to do? You need to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so what we've been learning is that we can't look to Hollywood for how to do our relationships. We, we can't look to our neighbor who's on our third marriage of how to do relationships. We can't even go with what our own gut says about relationships. We have got to get the mindset of Jesus when it comes to our romantic relationships. That's what this whole series has been about. How do we get the mindset of Jesus? Now, to help us to get Jesus' mindset, we've also been looking at the research and the writings of Dr. John Van Epp. John Van Epp has been a Christian psychologist and a counselor for over 20 years now, and he has done a lot of scientific research and studies of what really bonds relationships together. And so what we've seen throughout the series is that there's five different things in this thing that he came up with called the RAM, the Relationship Attachment Model. And so first of all, in any relationship, remember, this isn't just romantic relationships, any relationship, you start out, you get to know somebody, and then once you know them, then can I trust them? And then can I rely on them? Do I want to make a commitment to them? And then you get to appropriate touch, whatever that would look like, depending on what the, the uh, relationship is. And so what we've been doing is we've been reviewing this because for singles, this is the progression that a relationship should go through. But what we've discovered back in week one was that a lot of singles, they go right from, okay, I'm just getting to know you to, all right, let's have sex. And, and you've skipped all this middle section here. And then you wonder, why aren't your relationships working out? And then if that's a progression for singles, this is something that as married couples, we've got to learn to, to find a, a balance in, you know, as, as things go up and down, up and down, you've you got to try to find that balance. So back in week one, what we did is we looked at the first word, and what we're doing throughout the series is we're just looking at each one of these words. So in week one, we looked at this word of know. As a single, how do you get to know the person you're dating? Or if you're married, how do you get to know your spouse even better? And then in week two, we looked at this word of trust. How do you gain trust in your dating relationships? How do you gain more and more trust in your marriage relationship? And what happens if that trust has been broken in some way? Is it possible to, to restore the trust because something major has happened that has violated trust, maybe in your marriage? And you're like, I, I'm not sure I can trust this person anymore. Is it possible? By the way, as Bill mentioned to you earlier, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, I'd recommend go to our website, exponential.church, or go to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, catch up on some of these things because trust can be restored in a marriage, but it does take work. Then last week, we looked at this word of, of rely, and what does that look like in a, a relationship? Can I rely on people more and more as I'm dating them? How do I know I can rely on my spouse? And what we found is that there's two extremes when it comes to rely. Remember, there's that one extreme, which was the you complete me myth. Remember the Hollywood myth of you complete me. No, 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 no. Nobody else completes you except for Jesus. Only Jesus can complete you. 
So we can't go to that extreme. We also can't go to the other extreme, which was the, well, I don't need anybody. I'm just going to be independent. And what we discovered there is that God has created us for interdependence, that we need each other. And again, that's not just even romantic relationships. We need each other. I even said to you married couples, don't allow your marriage to become independent of other marriages. You need other couples to speak into your life to help you through the ups and the downs that happen. Today, then, we're going to look at this word of commit. How do we know if I want to be committed to somebody? And then how do I make sure that I maintain that commitment once I'm married? So if you're taking notes here today, the dictionary definition of commit, and this is actually just the partial part of the definition, is this. Commit is being dedicated to a cause, activity, or person. Now, in the context of a romantic relationship, the ultimate commitment that you can make would be marriage, which is preceded by being engaged, which is preceded by becoming boyfriend and girlfriend. You've made commitments along the way to one another. And then the commitment once you're married is that I'm going to love you until death do us part. But if you remember back to week one of the series I shared with you, that by the time you get to be the age of 50, 42.6% of Americans will have experienced a divorce. Say that again. By the time you get to be the age of 50, 42.6% of Americans will have experienced a divorce. That's a lot. That's nearly half of all Americans. So what's a single person to do? How do they combat that? Because 88% of all singles say that they want to be married someday, and 90% of all singles say that the divorce rate is too high in our country. So what's a single person to do? Well, the solution many singles think is, well, let's just live together before we get married. Let's like practice and see if we can make this work or not. In fact, 62% of singles say that living together is the number one way to avoid an eventual divorce. Now, that sounds really good in theory, doesn't it? That let's practice to see if we can make marriage work before we actually get married. That sounds good in theory. However, did you know that if you live together with somebody before you get married, your chances of divorce actually dramatically increase? It goes way up. Let me give you the numbers on this. So out of all people that live together before marriage, okay, so that's all of them, 14% choose to remain unmarried. In other words, they just continue to cohabitate with one another. 40% end up splitting up, which leaves 46% that then get married. But did you know that of that percentage then, that 46% of singles that lived together with somebody before, now they got married, did you know that their divorce rate is 66%? That number is just as high as people for second marriages. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but the more times you get married, the more likely it is you're going to experience a divorce. So the divorce rate for a second marriage is 66%. Third marriage, it goes higher than that. Fourth marriage, higher than that. And so what the, the statistics show us is that if you live together with somebody before you get married, your divorce rate is just as high as somebody that's on a second marriage. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And so here's how I put it on your outline. Living together isn't practice for marriage. It's practice for divorce. 
Now, remember the old infomercials? Remember what their famous thing that they would say at the end of every infomercial? But wait, there's more. <laughs> Did you know in studies that have been done of couples that are living together, their life satisfaction score is lower than everybody else? Did you know that couples living together, they score lower in their satisfaction of romance? Did you know that couples living together score lower in sexual satisfaction than what married couples do? Say that again. Because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to like sleep around. I'm just going to live with a bunch of people. I'm going to try things out, you know, kick the tires a little bit before I get committed to somebody. Let me say it again. The sexual satisfaction score for people living together outside of marriage is actually lower than for committed married couples. Did you know that for people living together outside of marriage, their depression is three times greater than everybody else? Remember the old definition of insanity? What is it? Continue to do what? Same thing over and over and over again and expect to get different results. The, the system that, that Hollywood and our culture is trying to sell us is broken. It's not working. So why do we keep doing it over and over again? That's why it's so important that as we've been discovering throughout this series, we've got to take the mindset of Jesus when it comes to dating, the mindset of Jesus when it comes to romance and marriage, and as we'll talk about next week, even sex. We've got to understand what does Jesus say about this? What does the word of God have to say about this? So what does God have to say about commitment? That's what I want to explore with you here today. What does commitment look like from a biblical standard? As we talk about this, uh, this is, again, this is going to apply to all relationships of what commitment looks like. But we're applying it specifically in this one to romantic relationships. So if you're taking notes, here's the first of the five things I want to point out to you today. And that is that commitment is a personal decision that I make and back up by following through. You know, in all areas of life, we need to be people of our word, especially if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. We've got to be people of our word, and, and we do that by, by acting upon our word. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but these five words that Dr. Van Epp gave us, these can be verbs as well. Knowing, trusting, relying, committing, touching. Committing isn't just a, a concept. Committing to somebody in marriage, it's not just a, a piece of paper that the government has given you. No, committing is an action. It's something that you do where you actually follow through with it. It's a conscious decision that I'm going to be a person of my word. You know, what I see so much is that people just aren't people of their word anymore. You know, let's say you're, you have dinner reservations with some of your friends. Maybe it's your life group. And you say, all right, we're all going to get together. And we're going to this really nice restaurant. We got a reservation for 7 p.m. And it's, let's pretend it's like one of those places where they won't seat anybody until everybody from the party is there. You ever been to one of those restaurants before? They're like, until everybody's here, we're not seating you. Okay? Are you early 
Or are you the person that is always rolling in 15 minutes late with your excuse of why you couldn't be there on time? See, we need to be people of our word. If you say you're going to be there, then be there. If you say you're committed to something, then truly commit to it. Singles. You know, it's one thing to say that you want to remain sexually pure while you're dating. But are you just saying it? Or have you set up the boundaries to safeguard that commitment that you've made with the person that you're dating? Do you have people that are going to hold you accountable? Again, commitment is not just a concept. It's a, a verb. And we need to put things into action to ensure that it's met. That's why Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2, and then we'll look at verse 5. He writes, don't make rash promises. Let your words be slow to come out of your mouth. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and then not keep it. And so really this comes down to integrity. Are you a person of your word or not? Are you going to follow through with your commitments or not? Which leads me to the second point I want to make to you that the commitments I make will in time reveal my character and values. Does that make sense to you? Whatever you commit to, ultimately as time plays out, that's going to reveal your character and your values. Look at Proverbs 11.3. We read this, if you do the right thing, honesty will be your guide. But if you're crooked, you will be trapped by your own dishonesty. Now, in the Hebrew there, the word for dishonesty can also be translated as double-minded. In other words, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. What's another word for that, where you say one thing, but do another? What is it? Hypocrites, right. That you're a hypocrite. That you said you were going to do one thing, but yet you ended up doing something else. Now, listen to me very, very carefully. All of those of you who are here and those of you that are watching online as well because I want to show a little bit of grace here, because I understand where some of you have been. But I want there to be some conviction here as well for some of you. There are some legitimate biblical reasons for divorce. Okay? So getting a divorce is not always a sin. There are legitimate biblical reasons for divorce. We're not going to get into what those are right now. But... Based on the statistics that I've shared with you, there is nearly half of all Americans that are standing before God and they're standing before their family and friends and they are vowing, I am going to love you no matter what, richer or poorer, better or worse, in sickness and in health until death do us part, only to later break that commitment to break that vow with God, to break that commitment with their spouse and go ahead and get a divorce. And what I'm saying to you is that that reveals your character and it reveals your values. I don't care what you say. I don't care how much of a follower of Jesus you tell me that you are. If you are getting a divorce for any reason other than the biblical reasons that Jesus and the writers of Scripture give, then that is revealing your true Christianity. It's revealing your character and your values. You said one thing, but you ended up doing another. Dr. Van Epp put it this way. He says, a commitment will only be as strong as the conscience that upholds it. And so singles, don't evaluate your potential future spouse 
by what they're saying. Evaluate them by what they do. Evaluate them by the, the, the time. What do they give their time to? What do they give their money to? What are they giving their energy to? Don't base it on their words. Base it on those things because that's an indicator of how committed they're going to be long-term. Number three, integrity is my ability to carry out a commitment long after the mood in which I made the commitment has left. You know, we often make commitments in the heat of the moment, don't we? We get all excited about something. We make a commitment. Yes, I'm going to do that. And then later on, the mood wears out. and We're like, what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> Ever done that before? And so we, we've got to be careful. And especially when it comes to, to marriage here. You know, it's easy to stand before your family and friends and, and recite all these vows that I'm going to love you until death do us part when you're there and you got your beautiful gown on and you got your tux on and your family's there and they're hanging on your every word. It's easy to say I'm going to love you for richer, for poorer and better and worse, sickness and health in that moment because the mood is so great. The romance on that day, the love that's in the air on that day, that's easy to do that. But what happens on the the days that the mood isn't there. Are you going to be like my wife, Lisa? Eight years ago, many of you remember, I got like deathly sick. I got a virus and it was like really bad. Three consecutive weeks throwing up every day, diarrhea every day. And I'm talking like every hour. I was miserable. I couldn't do anything. Do you think Lisa was really in the mood to serve me in those moments? <laughs> to put up with all of that? To have to wait on me hand and foot like that? No, of course she wasn't. But what was the commitment that she had made? I'm going to love you in sickness and in health. And so we've, we've got to have that type of commitment to our spouse. I'm going to love you no matter what. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, we read this. A righteous person lives on the basis of his integrity. Notice that Solomon there doesn't say that a righteous person lives on the basis of the mood that they're in at the moment. No, they live on the basis of their integrity, of, the, of their character. You know, one of the things that I do uh, during premarital counseling with couples is I have them write a two- to three-page love letter to each other. And they don't share it with me. It's just something that they keep. And I tell them, here's why I'm having you do this. Right now, while you're in premarital counseling, you're getting ready for your wedding, you know you love each other. But I guarantee you there's going to come a day, a year down the road, five years down the road, 10 years, 20 years down the road, there's going to come a day where you wake up and you go, I don't really love this person today. <laughs> I don't like them. I'm not sure I love them. In fact, I'm not even sure I ever love them. I hear that all the time from couples. I'm not even sure I ever loved that. This was just a, a mistake to get married. And so the reason I have them write that letter is what I want them to do is pull those letters back out to be reminded that, oh, wait a second. No, I, I, I really did love my spouse at one moment. And as they, as they read that, they're, they're reminded of the things that they did at first, of why they fell in love in the first place. And hopefully it spurs them to get that going again. Again, a commitment has nothing to do with the mood that you're in of how you feel. This is a commitment that you made to God and the other person 
to love each other till death do you part. So that brings me to point number four, and that is that my commitment is an ongoing journey, not a one-time event. You've heard me say this plenty of times in the past. I do doesn't mean I'm done. I do doesn't mean I'm done. A marriage takes work. A marriage is a commitment to continuing to, to work on it. Marriage isn't like something that you like just check off life's, you know, checklist of, well, got that done. No. It's this ongoing journey that you're on. And on any journey, you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And the Apostle Paul, he was never married himself, but he knew what a commitment to somebody else really looked like. Why? Because his commitment that he had with Jesus. And I want you to look at what he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew that in this commitment he had made with Jesus, a commitment that Paul would say was, until death do us part. Paul says, you know what? I understand that along the way, there's going to come suffering. And in fact, I'm embracing the suffering that's going to come along the way. I want to know that suffering. I want to be with Jesus in every single way. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, because of the commitment that he made to Jesus, he was stoned for that. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked time and time again, all because of his relationship with Jesus. But yet he kept on going. And so here's my question. For those of you that are married, are you in your marriage for the long haul? Or are you going to bail at the first sign of trouble? Final point then, number five. My commitment needs to be a choice to give up all other choices. My commitment needs to be a choice to give up all other choices. One of the greatest decisions that Lisa and I ever made was while we were engaged, we said, you know what? We are just going to simply never, ever, ever utter the word divorce around one another in the context of our relationship. We just simply took that word out of our vocabulary. We said that is just simply not an option that will ever be on the table. And no matter how bad things may ever get in our marriage, and there were some rocky times early in our marriage, no matter how bad things get, divorce is just not an option. And so either we're going to have to learn how to, to live out our marriage and work out our problems, or if we don't, we're just going to be miserable roommates with one another for the rest of our lives. So we better figure out how to make it work. Basically, we did what the conquerors of old did. I don't know if you know this, but many times, like long, long ago, the, the, the captains, they would bring in these wooden vessels to conquer a new land. And the first thing that they would do upon getting to the land to conquer it is they burn the ship. They burn the boat. Basically, what you're saying to your troops is, there's no going back. We're in this. <laughs> We're committed to doing this. And that's what Lisa and I decided. We're burning the boat. We're in this for the long haul. There is no other option for us. That's the commitment all of us need to have, especially as followers of Jesus. You know, recently I was uh, introduced to the story of a man by the name of Dave Reaver. And Dave was a, a guy in Vietnam, 
And like he had done many other times, he pulled the pin on a grenade and he cocked his arm back to go to throw it. He had done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times. But in this particular day, it was a faulty grenade. And right as he got it back, it exploded in his hand, blew his hand completely off, and just completely just blew the right side of his face off as well. No eyelid, no ear, uh, just third-degree burns all over. His, his jaw was actually just like there was no bone left at all on this side. It was just completely gone. And he survived. He had to spend 14 months in a military hospital, but he survived. And now here we are many years uh, later. And by his own admission, Dave would say, even despite the fact he's had nearly 60 surgeries, Dave would still say that he looks pretty grotesque. He does. When you see pictures, after 60 surgeries of trying to reconstruct, you can still tell something major happened to this guy. But Dave, he says that when he was there in the hospital, in that, that initial couple days, they got him to a military hospital, and they were going to fly, you know, his wife in and everything. He said in the bed right next to him was a guy that had a very similar injury. And that guy's wife actually showed up before Dave's wife did. And he said when she walked in to the room and saw her husband, she was so overcome with emotion that she took off her wedding ring, and she said, I, I, I just can't handle this. I, I can't deal with this. And she put it on his bed and walked out the door. And Dave said he was for sure that's what his wife Brenda was going to do. And so the next day she comes in, and so he had sort of prepared himself for this, and so he was going to be preemptive, and he says as soon as she walks in, he says, I know you probably can't handle this and that, that you're not going to have anything to do with me. And he said what she did next was she walked over to his bedside, and she bent down, and she kissed his still burnt lips. And she said to him, Dave, it's going to be okay. And besides, you were never really all that good looking to begin with. <laughs> Dave and, and Brenda, who are followers of Jesus, they said the, the strength of their relationship, the commitment to their relationship, is because it did not start in the backseat of a car it started on the front row of a church. And for the past 50 years now, they're still both alive. They've traveled all around the world, sharing their story of commitment to Jesus and their story of commitment to one another. That's what commitment looks like. I'm going to love you no matter what. And so for those of you that are single as I wrap up today, I want you to, to go through this, again, as a progression. Don't go right from no to touch. Really get to know the person you're dating. Really get to trust them. Really get to rely on them. And then ask yourself this question. Do I want to be committed to this person for the rest of my life? And ask yourself this question as well. Are we actually better together serving Jesus than we are individually serving Jesus? And if you're willing to, to make that commitment, then go ahead and get engaged, get married, and as we'll talk about next week, woohoo! Right? Right? I'll just wait till next week. <laughs> I'm already blushing, and we still have a week to go, right? 
But please, singles, do this in the proper order. Because if you'll do it God's way, then you won't become a statistic like so many other people have been. And then if you're, you're married, and here's what I want you to do. If you're sitting next to your spouse here today, would you reach over and just grab their hand right now? Just hold her hand. Will you vow right now in this moment to commit to them until death do us part? That it doesn't matter what comes our way. I am with you. Like Dave and Brenda Reaver. I am with you no matter what. And then for all of us here, and those of you that are watching online, let me remind you that the greatest commitment you can ever, ever make is a commitment to a relationship with Jesus. Where you've asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've asked him to come in and be the leader of your life. You've turned from your sin in repentance and you said, Jesus, here I am, all of me. I am 100% committed to you. Where you've gotten to know Jesus and you're trusting Jesus, you're relying on Jesus, and you're fully committed to him. Because here's what I guarantee you. If you'll do this with Jesus, you can make a marriage work. You can make a marriage work. If you're sold out and they're sold out, you can make a marriage work no matter what. And so if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, be the leader of your life, today is the day to do that. You're going, what's that look like? Just simply ask. Just simply ask, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I haven't been living your way. I've been living my way. But Jesus, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Make me whole. And I'm giving up my rights. I'm making you the leader of my life. So I'm going to go wherever it is you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll give whatever it is you want me to give. I'll serve whoever it is you want me to serve. That's the greatest decision I ever made, July 27, 1993. Asking Jesus to forgive me of my sins, be the leader of my life. And then just a couple years later, June 3, 1995, standing, holding Lisa's hand, vowing, I'm going to love you until death do us part. I love her so much. And I want you to have that same thing that we have. But it starts with Jesus. Commit to Jesus and then commit to one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the, the wisdom that is found in your word. That we don't have to just aimlessly go through life just trying to figure out life and, and relationships and dating and marriage and sex and all those things. We don't have to figure it out on our own. You have given us a, a guidebook, your, your word that shares with us, here's the absolute best way to do all those things. And so, Lord, I, I just... I pray that we would sell out to you, that Jesus, we would be fully committed to you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that Jesus, as we're being changed in your image and likeness, that would make us a better boyfriend and girlfriend. That would make us a better husband or wife. Lord, again, I just pray that we would be looking at these words of of know and trust and rely and commit and touch, not through our mindset, but through your mindset. Help us not to live life our way anymore.
Help us to give ourselves fully to you, to your word, and to these commitments that we've made with you, with our spouse, with each other, even as a church body. Help us to be people of our word. Help us not to be hypocrites as so many people are. Jesus, we thank you that when we sell out like that, you bless us immensely because you say, wow, look at them. They're being faithful to little, so I'm going to entrust them with more. And so, Lord, that, that's what we want. We just want your blessing on our lives, knowing that not every day is going to feel blessed because there are ups and downs. But as we've looked at so many times, we can consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because that testing of our faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so we may be mature and complete, not lacking for anything. Jesus, we don't want to lack in our lives. We don't want to lack in our relationships and especially in our romantic relationships. And so help us to embrace you fully with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, thank you for 28 incredible married years with Lisa and the two years we dated before that, I pray. Many, many more years that we would have. And I would pray that same type of thing for others, that they would be able to look back one day and it's 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, maybe even 60 years of living <laughs> almost like the, the fairy tale, happily ever after. Jesus, thank you again for all you're doing in our lives and in our relationships. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.